a lot of schools on the football field are going to have regrets about realignment, except for Utah and the expansion Big 12. You are locked on college football, your daily podcast on all things college football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view if you're watching on YouTube every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your number one source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sport on planet Earth. Realignment, portal, coaching carousel, all that and more right here on the show, which today is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. New customers join today and you'll get $150 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Realignment talk. UCLA has made their hire. I'm not a big fan of it. At least I don't have any other information to go off of. I don't really like it right now. And it's Transfer Tuesday because today is Tuesday and that's how we roll here uh, in the offseason for the show. So realignment has created these conferences that make absolutely no sense. They have no basis in uh, geography. They have no basis in history many times with all these schools moving around. There is no school more so than Utah that is going to benefit from all of this craziness. Why? Because they are such a steady, high floor program. They're trying to get themselves to be a high-ceiling program. That's what Kyle Whittingham and the Utes fans up in Salt Lake City are waiting for. When can they take that next step? Well, in the world that we have, in which automatic qualifiers are a thing given to conference champions, Utah is the only realignment team that's going to a new conference this year and will play in a conference that's going to feel weird when they first take the field in a conference game against somebody like, I don't know, Oklahoma State or Kansas State or Iowa State or anybody like that. They're the only one that are going to be conference favorites. Now, Oregon going into the Big Ten, they're poised for success, but they would have succeeded anywhere they've been. Utah going into the Big 12 goes from a team that is kind of at the top of Tier 2, maybe towards the lower end of Tier 1, depending on the year and the team and everything that they've got going on there. But they are at the top of the Big 12. They, they are creme de la creme. They are cream of the crop. They are best of the best. They are the teams that they are the team, one of the teams that you should be looking at in the Big 12 and saying, oh, okay, yeah, that's clearly one of the three favorites in the conference this year. That that much is inexplicably clear. It's Utah, Kansas State, and maybe Arizona, but they've been hit by the transfer portal since Jed Fish left. We don't really know what Brent Brennan will be with the Wildcats. I I think he could succeed but I can't guarantee it. It's not the exact same team as what they would have had had Jed Fish stuck around. I think that was a mistake by Jed Fish in the short term, not in the long term. Washington's a better job than Arizona, but in the short term, don't know that that was the best move there. But Utah goes into the Big 12. I've got them pegged as the conference favorites. They are college football playoff or bust. Now, I feel that way about Oregon as well going into the Big 10, but I don't feel that Oregon has to win the Big 10 in order to get into the college football playoff, Utah might have to. I don't know that the Big 12 has got the depth. In fact, I don't believe that Utah has got the, or that the Big 12 has got the depth to allow for a two-bid league. Utah would have to go 11-1 in the regular season and look very good doing it and then lose to a good team in the conference championship game, which since they're there, you'd assume it would be a quality opponent. But even then, at 11-2, does that feel like a lock? 
it feels like a good chance. I don't know that it feels like a lock. And that's also an if because a 10 and three big 12. Nope. I cannot see that. Not with the big 10 in the SEC. So Utah is the only team that goes in and I think actually benefits because rather than having to go through Oregon and Washington and USC, whose offseason moves I love, by the way, their fan, their fan duel win total, USC, by the way, seven and a half. Give me that over. Now their schedule is tough. Their schedule is tough. But Lincoln Riley just had his worst season ever as a head coach. I don't think he's going to repeat that. I think they've made the right moves there in Los Angeles to be a better team than they were a season ago. Miller Moss at quarterback. I like USC over seven and a half there over with our friends at FanDuel. But I digress because when you look at what Utah has got, their returning production for this year is great, but they're never going to bottom out. They can't bottom out in the Big 12. They, they can't even... I, I can't see a season barring a bunch of injuries. And by the way, they had a bunch of injuries this past season. If you'd stuck them in this current Big 12, last year's Utah team, it's a Big 12 title contender. Ab- absolutely. That's a Big 12 title contender. I don't, I'm not saying they're going to win. I, I'm not guaranteed. But they're in that mix far more than they, would, they, than they were rather in the Pac-12. Because Utah would have to go against USC and Oregon and Washington and what Arizona was building, what if the pack had stuck together, what Jonathan Smith would have been building at Oregon State. There would have been a lot more obstacles. Whereas in the Big 12, you got Kansas State. I like Chris Kleiman. Interested to see what they've got in Avery Johnson, a quarterback there. Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, a lot like Utah. High floor, trying to become a high ceiling, but you know they're going to be there year in, year out. And after that, it's... Who, who can you look at in the Big 12 and say, okay, they're going to be a perennial conference title contender. I feel confident in saying that. Colorado, not yet. Not not yet. Maybe in 2025. Maybe that's where Prime gets to. But are you, are you, conf- are you dead set on that particular belief? Because I'm not. I, I need to see a little bit more evidence right now. Though I love what Colorado has done this offseason. Some are saying... Some, some, maybe many people out there are saying that the influence of this particular show moved the line on Colorado from four and a half as a win total to five and a half. It's just, you look around the right corners of the dark web and you can find it. You can find people that say that. Okay, anyway, so that's where I stand with Utah. They are the team that benefits the most from it. Everybody else is going to have some form of regret. Calford is going to go to the ACC. They're going to play SMU. They're going to play each other every year, but they're going to go play games literally on the other side of the country. After a couple of years, coaches and players, how how bad is it to travel after a loss? I've been with teams, football teams, basketball teams that have had to go on a road trip back home after a loss. It's not great. When that's a long trip, let me tell you, that flight, it, it feels about twice the length when you've taken a tough loss. I, I think that's going to be really, really difficult. I think UCLA going into the Big Ten, I'll get I'll get to them a little bit more later. They're not set up for success with football. They're, they're not set up for success with football whatsoever. They would have been better off the Pac-12 staying together. Oklahoma and Texas going into the SEC, this is the one that I kind of went back and forth on because those are strong brands. Those are strong programs. But again, in the 12-team playoff era, the Big 12 – is going to get its champion in every single year. Well, who are going to be the favorites to play for the conference championship every year in the Big 12 before they decide to go to the SEC? Oklahoma and Texas. How good do you feel about going through Georgia 
every year. Or Ole Miss right now looks really, really good. There's this team in Tuscaloosa that is dealing with some chaos right now, but they're, they're, they're historically pretty good. LSU has got Brian Kelly. I, I haven't even mentioned Missouri and Eli Drinkowitz and what the Tigers are doing. <laughs> Have you seen their FanDuel, FanDuel win total? Oh boy. Oh boy, that's pretty high. There are going to be a lot of places that have regrets. I think some places will be kind of neutral. I think USC would be in the same spot, Big Ten, Pac-12. I think Oregon and Washington both, roughly the same. I, I don't think there's a huge difference one way or the other. Utah benefits the most. Colorado, same sort of thing. They're they're better off in the Big 12. Actually, now that I think about it, Colorado's better off in the Big 12, but not like Utah is because Utah steps in and they're the immediate conference favorite. And they have been, if you look at their number of wins and conference championships they have in the last couple of years, they're the most storied program in the Big 12 recently over the last five seasons. They got the most conference championships. That's the way it is. So... I think that for Utah, they're in a good spot. The only other school I'll throw in there as benefiting wildly from this realignment stuff, and they're not going to have any regrets with the results they see in the football field, is SMU. And it's SMU. Yeah, it can be hard in the SEC, but this is the NIL era. SMU is going to be able to put together a talented roster. They've done so under Rhett Lashley, by the way, with Preston Stone back at quarterback. Talked about them on yesterday's show. I like them over seven and a half on FanDuel. I I like them over that number year one in the ACC. They're not an instant contender, but they are now at the big boys table where Washington State and Oregon State, tragically and ridiculously, are not. But they're there and they benefit second most to Utah. Colorado's third. Everybody else, there can be some regrets here and there. Arizona schools, eh, kind of a wash. If you got thoughts, you got you got comments, questions, drop them in the YouTube section, the comment section that is, or hit me up on X, formerly known as Twitter at S McLaughlin CFB or at Locked On underscore CFB. Utah, Utah played a team last year that they beat fourteen to seven. That was UCLA. UCLA's got a different coach. Utah's got the same coach. If they were to play, that result would be mostly the same, but Utah would win by more. Have you checked out FanDuel yet? I just wanted to toss that in there because, of course, it's America's number one sports book. I mean, right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. It could be anything. You could bet against the Detroit Pistons in the NBA. You can bet on, I don't know. Some massive spread in college basketball, whatever you want, it's all over there. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. You can now bet every power four win total in 2024. They're all there. Juicy, juicy stuff. If you ever want me to assess one here on the show, oh, let me tell you. I have thoughts, many thoughts all over the place. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Shoot your shot. What do you got to lose? FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. I am doubling down on my thoughts about the UCLA football program after they've hired Deshaun Foster. So he is a UCLA guy through and through. Tell me this. Did you need a UCLA guy or did you need a big-time football coach. I was not joking. I am not joking when I say that UCLA, if they were as committed as other programs have been and wanted to show that they were willing to make the investments to be a top-tier football program, no matter what conference they're in, Urban Meyer would have been the selection. Maybe Urban Meyer is not open to coaching right now. 
I don't get that sense because after the Jacksonville Jaguars disaster in the NFL, which has no bearing on him as a college coach, by the way, the documentary Swamp Kings came out. It's a great watch. Great, great watch on Netflix. Who do you think was one of the people saying, hey, let's put this documentary out now? Urban Meyer. Because what did it remind everybody? Hey, Urban Meyer's won national championships in this sport. Hey, Urban Meyer's been a really, really successful college coach everywhere that he has been. And he's not a head coach right now. He's sitting behind a desk. Does he want to stay there? Does he want to come back to college football? I haven't talked to him. I don't have those answers. But this move to hire Deshaun Foster, who by all accounts is well-liked by the players, a really upstanding guy, had a successful career as a Bruin. He's a UCLA guy. This move demonstrates exactly what I was talking about with the Bruins. They do not have an institutional investment in being a highly successful football program. Because you're bringing in a guy who has been a coach since 2013 at the collegiate ranks. So he's a college football guy. And as I said, he's a UCLA guy. He started there as a GA. He was then a quality control coach and recruiting analyst person. Then he was, for one season, he was not on UCLA's campus as a coach. He was the running backs coach at Texas Tech. And then he got an offer to come back, and he did. He's been there ever since. He was about to go to the NFL. He'd accepted that job. Isn't it crazy how many times this is happening? Ryan Grubb was going to be the OC at Bama? Nope. Bill O'Brien, OC at Ohio State? Nope. Now, now, now you've got Deshaun Foster, running backs coach with the Raiders? Nope. Didn't didn't happen. They, they retracted it. Everyone's just a retractor. Just, eh, yeah, no, not going to do that. So all these guys go to these places step in the building. I I wonder if they got any polos from their time there or a commemorative plaque of their time in that particular coaching role. Anyway, Deshaun Foster has never been a head coach before. That's not inherently a bad thing. Arizona State hired a guy who'd never been a head coach before in Kenny Dillingham. I think he's going to do well. Speaking of FanDuel bets that I absolutely love, Arizona State over four and a half. Give me that every day of the week. So I don't think that's the problem. Deshaun Foster, though, has never been a coordinator. Now, he knows UCLA. He's a UCLA guy. His passion for UCLA is unquestioned. And that's why this move was made. Because Chip Kelly just wanted to coach football and didn't care about the UCLA brand. He didn't care about recruiting. Didn't want to do NIL in the portal. I'm sure Deshaun Foster will represent UCLA in a way that is honorable and passionate and driven to make the roster the best it can be. But what about someone who's never been a coordinator before screams home run hire? No, to me, that screams safe hire. Because you hired someone who's never been a coordinator before. What does that mean? He's cheap. That is not the most expensive coach you could have gone out and hired. Maybe P.J. Fleck took his name out of the running. Bruce Feldman reported that, and he decided he wasn't interested there. Yeah, Chip Kelly left you in a rather difficult situation here in many ways. But UCLA had reportedly wanted to move on from him. Then they were going to keep him. Chip decides he wants to leave. I imagine there was a mutual aspect of that parting of ways. But UCLA, you know what Urban Meyer would have been? Urban Meyer would have been to UCLA what Deion Sanders is to Colorado. You don't have to win right away. But guess what? You hire somebody with that sort of name brand pedigree and you are telling the entire world, we care. 
Because right now, everything with UCLA is we don't care. Investment in the program, not consistently there. Willing to pony up money to keep quality coaches or higher quality coaches? Nope, 0 for 2 in this offseason. DeAnton Lynn, swiped away by USC. Stud defensive coordinator. I hope they at least gave him a phone call to come back because that's how this works. You go take a coordinator spot. Nope, head coaching opportunity. I hope they at least gave him a call, but he probably would have demanded more than Foster would have because he'd been a defensive coordinator before. So Foster's the least experienced, least expensive option. I don't doubt his passion. I don't doubt his character. But I'm looking at his track record, track record and saying, wait a minute, how is this the best option? Was this the best candidate available? Was this the be- this, this feels to me, if anything, like a stopgap move. This feels like a move you make because he's going to pour his heart and soul into it, try and demonstrate that there can be more passion around the program than has been demonstrated at times over the last several years while Chip Kelly was at the helm and try to build up maybe a little bit more of a recruiting base or a brand or an identity for the program. And in two years when someone becomes available, then you go and try and hire him. Like Jonathan Smith at Michigan State, for instance, has got ties out West that don't just extend to Corvallis, Oregon. They go beyond that. Maybe you wait for his buyout to come down after two years. He turns things around at Michigan State, and you go off him. Maybe, maybe this is a long-term play. But nothing about this move says all in. Nothing about this move says we're going to turn things around and become a contender with this program. I, I faded UCLA last year. They were one of my favorite bets on then locked on Pac-12, RIP, UCLA under eight and a half. They had the talent to be better than that. They were in a transition year at quarterback. But this move to me, this is their schedule. Their their win total is five and a half. And the players expressed their support and everything like that. I got to be honest, that means very little to me. Not nothing. When, When you've got guys like Ethan Garbers coming out saying, we're excited this guy, maybe he'll be to motivate everybody. But what is he going to acquire in the talent department? UCLA hasn't been recruiting well. He's been on staff. I get that he's passionate about UCLA, but how is he going to change the recruiting footprint? How is he going to attract big-time transfers? When I said Deshaun Foster is UCLA's head coach, how many of you asked yourself, who's that? Guess what? I did too when I saw that was the hire. It's not a big, splashy hire, and it's a program that is trending down. They're set up for a really bad season. And I think they could struggle. Here's their schedule. They start at Hawaii. Don't sleep on the Rainbow Warriors when you're making that trip. Tommy Chang, man. Okay. Guy guy can score some points. But I suspect they'll be able to win that game. They come home against Indiana. New head coach there in Bloomington. I don't know how to feel about that game. I I look at UCLA's schedule. I legitimately see one game where I feel very confident they'll win. And that's Hawaii. They end the year at home against USC and Fresno State. They're losing at least one of those games. They could lose both. But their schedule starts Hawaii on the road, Indiana at LSU. Yeah, Death Valley. Good luck. That's an L. Oregon at home. Not going to have the talent to match up. At Penn State. That's a loss. We're we're at least the best case scenario for UCLA to start in this season 
is two and three. And I think one and four is right there on the table. And the next week they come home against Minnesota to coach against a guy that I would have liked. I, I would have liked for UCLA to have hired P.J. Fleck. Then they go at Rutgers, at Nebraska. They're not winning at Nebraska. No way. I like the Cornhuskers here. At Rutgers, Greg Schiano against Deshaun Foster. One guy's been a head coach for a couple hundred games in his career. One guy's been a head coach or a coordinator for zero. At the very least, that's a coaching mismatch. We'll see about the roster. They come back home against Iowa. Never easy to score points. They go at Washington. That's going to be a loss. USC and Fresno, they're losing at least one of those games. I can look at, at about half their schedule and say they're not winning that game. There's, there's not just a talent deficit. There is a coaching deficit as well because he's going to be learning on the job. Five and a half win total, I'm, I'm, I'm under on UCLA right there. I think this is a four-win team maximum in 2024. And I, I have serious questions about what they are doing with the football program. And if you're a Bruins fan... If you're excited about it, great. Good for you. I am down on this hire. I am very high, though, on two particular transfers that we got to talk about. You know why? Because it's Transfer Tuesday. That's what we do around here. We also talk about eBay Motors in glowing fashion because they deserve it, of course. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. They've got over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. You'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hit me with some Transfer Tuesday. Like the Joker in the Dark Knight wanting Batman to hit him on, on the bike. Hit me. All right, I'll hit you. Let's start. Trevor Etienne, running back. Florida, previous destination. Georgia, new destination. This is one of the three best running backs in the SEC. And when I've watched Trevor Etienne over the last couple of years, I have seen somebody who is explosive, dynamic, and underutilized. He's going to rush for 1,000 yards this year. That is my prediction. Logging it officially right here on this episode, airing on February 13th, 2024. Trevor Etienne is going to be a 700-yard-plus rusher. Why do I feel confident in saying that? Well, he's not going to be relied upon with a limited passing game because Carson Beck is someone I'm immensely high on at quarterback. I think Kirby Smart has an idea or two what he's doing as a football coach and what they're doing offensively. And when I think about Trevor Etienne, I think about big, explosive plays. And in the first two years that he spent at Florida, so this is not someone who has to learn or adjust or adapt to the game. No, 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 no. This is a plug-and-play sort of guy. He had over 700 yards in each of his first two seasons, including his true freshman campaign. He averaged almost six yards a carry. That was at Florida. 
he's now at Georgia. Is, is, isn't that a crazy thing to say? Isn't it crazy to say you went from Florida to Georgia and you've massively upgraded? But as Josh Pate might say, whomst among us thinks that Georgia isn't an infinitely better situation right now than Florida? You've got one guy who just won 13 games and is kind of bummed about it versus another guy in Billy Napier who won five games and is now coaching for his job and wasn't able to make a bowl game by beating a third-string quarterback at home in the last week of the regular season in a rivalry game against Florida State. Those are two very different situations. Who, whose offensive line do you like more, Florida or Georgia? I'm Just on principle, I'm going to lean towards Georgia here. Whose quarterback do you like better? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Carson back. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks, not just in the SEC, but in the entire country. So you take Trevor Etienne and insert him into that that lineup of weapons. Yeah, they don't have Brock Bowers anymore. And no, it's not the exact same team. But this is Georgia we're talking about. They they've got talent all up and down the roster. And Etienne, he he is going to have running lanes for days down there in Athens. Georgia's win total on FanDuel is posted at ten and a half. You know why? They're very good. They're very good. I think they are a lock. I mean, a dead set lock to make the playoff. They're the favorites in the SEC. They should be the favorites to win the national championship. Ohio State should be up there too. Oregon should be up there. Texas should be up there. But Georgia's on top for me. Georgia's on top for me. And one of the reasons is this guy, Trevor Etienne, brings something to the backfield that Georgia has become accustomed to. When you think of the great Georgia teams and the offenses they've had, Yeah, there's the Todd Gurley, the Nick Chubb, who are the efficient, chop your feet, run you over sort of backs. But I think of those DeAndre Swift years. I I think of a guy like that. I think Trevor Etienne is, is similar in his running style. Downhill, but explosive and dynamic, can make you miss in the open field. And when I watch Georgia's offense, I love the way that it is schemed. I think they use their personnel exceptionally well. And Georgia's offensive staff is going to have a field day with Trevor Etienne. 1,000-yard rushing season. And don't be surprised if he becomes even more involved in the passing game as well. Love love that move for the Georgia Bulldogs. One of many reasons that I'm high in them. Carson Beck, Trevor Etienne in the backfield. Ooh, boy. <laughs> I'll take that every day of the week and twice on Saturdays. Not Sundays, Saturdays, because we're college football here. One foot, not two. Here's another transfer you should be aware of going into next college football season. B.J. Green. This is a player who originally was going to go play at Washington, and then Kalen DeBoer left, and B.J. Green went back into the transfer portal, and he landed at Colorado. Colorado, a team who I have single-handedly moved the betting line on. I'd still bet him over five and a half wins, by the way, but I loved him over four and a half. I if you're an everydayer out there, I tried to get you in on the value. The value has since disappeared just a little bit, but it's still there because Colorado has reloaded in the trenches. They have one of the top five transfer portal classes in all of college football. And a lot of that, a lot of the talent is beefy, meaty, big, bruising, burly. B.J. Green played at Arizona State for the last few years. This is not a transfer who's trying to realize his potential. There are kind of two categories of transfers. Guys who didn't work at their previous spot that are looking for a fresh start, either lowly recruited or highly recruited and didn't reach their full potential, or 
plug-and-play starters that come and make an impact, B.J. Green falls into the latter of these two categories. Because this is somebody who was at Arizona State last year, playing for a phenomenal defensive coordinator in Brian Ward, by the way. He's been, he's been coached quite well. But that defense was void of talent. Colorado's going to have more. I mean, you, you've, you've got Travis Hunter on one side. You may very well have Cormani McLean if he's ready to play the former five-star corner at the other. They brought in a litany of other defensive line transfers, and B.J. Green might be the best one. B.J. Green a season ago at Arizona State, a talent-deficient roster that was in a complete rebuild reset year under Kenny Dillingham for the Sun Devils. I think he's going to do a good job, by the way. Over four and a half, like the Sun Devils right there. B.J. Green has played in 24 games in the last two years in Tempe. So he's he's bringing the experience factor. Well, what about, what about his production? Does he have... Here were his numbers last year. Six sacks and 11 and a half tackles for loss. Those numbers individually playing in a competitive and deep Pac-12 conference, might I add, would have been first on the team in Colorado in sacks. Their leader had five. And second in tackles for loss, their leader had 12. This is an impact player at a position of great need for the buffs. They had needs on the offensive line. They had needs on the defensive line. And this is one of the guys who I absolutely freaking love that Colorado has added. He is a monster. He's not going to be the only impact player along that defensive line. And I think that's important because if he was, he he would draw a bunch of attention, but Colorado hasn't done that. Coach Prime has been very smart and diligent in the way that he's added transfer portal players. And I think BJ Green is going to be the best defensive lineman that Colorado adds this cycle. I think that is incredibly noteworthy. You get a guy who is experienced, who is productive, who is talented, and who is ready to help you right now. He doesn't have health concerns either. 24 games in the last two years? How many defensive linemen just don't miss time or linebackers? I mean, those guys get dinged up all the time. B.J. Green is tough. He is physical. He makes plays in the run game. He makes plays in the pass game. He is everywhere. He was Arizona State's best defensive player from this past season. He will be one of the best for Colorado. Travis Hunter will be at the top. B.J. Green could be the second best player on Colorado's team this year. He absolutely could be. So if your team, whoever you may be listening to or watching this show, if you play the buffs this season, you best look out for B.J. Green. He wore number 35 at Arizona State. We'll see what he ends up rocking in Boulder. But whatever it is, he's going to make a big impact on the front. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.